Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Verse 8, just for context's sake, we were there last week. 
Colossians 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. In the rest of chapter 2 that we looked at last week, Paul tells us that they don't need to heed the advice of these false teachers because contrary to what these false teachers are saying, believers have been given fullness in Christ. We talked about that last week. And that means we've been given new life. We've been forgiven. The law of God has been avenged for us. And our enemies, our adversary, has been defeated. Leads us to our first point this morning from chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Our first point this morning from our text is because we are complete in Jesus, which we talked about last week, we will be preoccupied with eternal things. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We saw this last week in chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. We said last week, what is true of Jesus, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, what is true of him is true of us as well. As a result of faith in Christ, we have been united with Jesus. Jesus died, so we died. Jesus rose, and so we have risen as well. Jesus was our representative. He was our substitute. So because of our faith in Christ, we won't suffer the wrath of God. And we won't have to die. All because of what? Because of our faith in Jesus. Jesus' work is sufficient. Because we've been, been given resurrection life, we should set our hearts on things above. He says that in, in verse 1, and then again in verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earth and things. Now, what does that mean, to set our minds and our hearts on things above? Does it mean that we should quit our jobs, and sit around and read the Bible all day, live a monastic life. I don't think that what that's referring to, although some do and have done such things. No, we have to work, right? We have to work, we have to play, we have to live life. I think it also doesn't mean that we don't excel in life. It's okay to desire excellence in what we do. That means if you're a banker, I think you should be the best banker you can be. I think if you're um, an athlete, I think you should set goals to be the best athlete, the best student, the best teacher, the best pharmacist, the best carpenter, or preacher for that matter. We should set goals. We should strive to be excellent in whatever we do, whatever our job, whatever our vocation. Because you think about it, without these ambitions, we would never have a Christian artist, a doctor, a Christian executive. We would never have a Christian author who ends up on that New York Times bestselling list. And we should strive for excellence in whatever we do. Now, how we, how we work, how we play, it should matter to us. But the difference for a believer and a non-believer is this. A believer, in regard to their work, in regard to their play, in regard to how they live their life, that shouldn't be all that matters to them. Your job, your hobby, 
your possessions. See, believers are focused on eternal things, not temporal, worldly things. And in my own life, just kind of share a little bit, my wife and I, we moved back from overseas and we took this position at this church to pastor and shepherd this church. And we have a house that I built like 19 years ago. And so I'm remodeling this, this home. And if you've ever built a home or remodeled a home, it can be frustrating. It's been a bit stressful. Now, I know some of you here, I'm looking around, I see some of you here, you're, you're in the building trade. And I know, some of you, I know you're, you're godly men. You let your yes be yes and your no be no. You show up on the job when you say you're going to be there. You do the work you're going to do and you do your work with excellence. But I will tell you, from my experience, you are in the minority. And uh, it has been such a struggle getting this remodel stuff done. And uh, man, it's been so hard just getting people to show up when they're going to be there and get them to do the work well, right? And what I find myself doing is you know, I find myself just praying, Lord, let so-and-so show up today. Please, God. You know, because in construction, you know, you have to get one thing completed before you can do the next, you know. You can't move on to the third thing if you can do the first. This is, you know, it's a building project, right? And so it's been so frustrating. But for me in my own life, when I when we talk about setting our minds on things above, setting our hearts on things above, not our things, how that how that relates to this building project is this. Instead of praying, Lord, help them show up today to get this thing done. And when they get there, I'm so preoccupied and encouraging them and helping them. Hey, is there anything I can do to help? I just want to get this thing done today, right? That's been my mindset. But what it should be is I should be praying, Lord, not Lord, let them show up today. But Lord, when they show up, give me an opportunity to share the gospel today. So that, that's been having my mind and my heart set on things above. Because those things, this, this worker's eternal salvation is far more important than getting my my plumbing fixed, right? Or getting my cabinets put in. Or getting the sheetrock finished, right? And we need to set our, set our mind and set our hearts on things above. And it's difficult to do, though, isn't it? Because we live in day in and day out and we have struggles and we, we have a lot of old habits and it's difficult. It's not, I ran into several of you this morning. Sunday morning, man, it's difficult. Sunday morning is hard. Especially have little children. But yeah, man, life gets in the way. It's tough to have our minds set on things above. Not to be consumed with just living life and getting through life, right? Yeah. Look at verse 3 and 4. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now it says we're, our lives are hidden with Christ in God now. That has this idea of safety and security. Flip over, hold, hold your place there, Colossians. Flip over to John. Go left, John chapter 10. Go left, John chapter 10, verse 20 and 29. I think when it says we're hidden in Christ, there's, a, there's this uh, a safety connotation there, security. Look at John chapter 10. Father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So there's a sense there when we're hidden. It says, back in Colossians, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. And God, I believe that's what that's referring to. There's, a, there's a, some security there in Christ. We're safe in Jesus, right? As we continue to faith Him, continue to trust Him, there is a security there. No one can snatch us from His hand. But then look at verse 4. It says, He is our life, right? Now, He is our life. He is our, He's a source of life, right? He is life. And He gives us eternal life. He is our source of life. But He should be our focus, right? Because we have this eternal security, eternal hope. He should be our focus. We will be with Him. We will be like Him. Because we know that He's coming back, right? To take His church. What about you this morning? Can you say that your hearts and minds are set on eternal things? Can you say that Jesus is your life? Is Jesus your life? Now look at verse 5. This is the latest to our second point. We should be preoccupied with eternal things, right? Because Jesus is our life. You look at verse 5. It says, therefore. Now, when reading the scriptures, anytime you read Paul's writing, especially, you see, therefore, you need to ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? Right? It's going to tie what's, what you just read to the, the following text. It says, therefore. The second point, we should be motivated to rid ourselves of old sinful habits. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he's going to list these vices. But as well, Paul's right there. And point out, we should be motivated to rid ourselves of these old sinful habits that he's going to list. He's going to list a whole bunch of things. You shouldn't do this, 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 and this. Why? Well, we have motivation because we're completing Christ. And he tells in verse 1 through 4, that should be our, our, our motivation. He says, we've been raised with Christ. We died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is now our life. We'll be glorified, right? We'll be like Jesus one day. That should motivate us to do what he, he, he's fixing to tell us to do. Phil Newton, a pastor in Memphis, I, I love to listen to. He says, therefore, take action to live as a believer. You can because of our union with Christ. You must because of the price paid for your salvation. You will because of the sanctifying work going on in you. So even though that our salvation is totally from God, I believe this is very modernistic, our, our salvation comes from the Lord. It's totally God's work. You know, last week we talked about how sometimes we view our, our, our view of salvation as a little bit skewed by the world. And we, we, see, we see God with His hand reaching down. And when we see man and all his energy is reaching up to God, that's kind of a picture of, 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 of salvation. That we're going to reach up and God's going to reach down and, and grab us and snatch us out of hell. That's not really the biblical picture of salvation. Salvation is totally from God because we're dead. Dead, dead things don't respond, right? So what does God do? He completely reaches down and, and, and gives us life. He grants us faith. He grants us repentance. It all comes from God. Salvation is from the Lord. But although salvation is, is from the Lord, there is a responsibility to follow Him once given the Holy Spirit, right? And Paul, remember, he's talking to believers here. And he, he knows that they're believers. He passes and testifies. These people, they love God. They love one another, right? The therefore. 
verse 4, here in verse 5, ties to the theological statements given in verse 1 through 4. And Paul does that over and over again. We see it in Ephesians, first few chapters, he's a lot of doctrine. This is who we are in Christ. This is who God is. And then he tells us, at the end of the book, he tells us, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, right? Romans, right? Chapter 1 through 11, again, it's very theologically heavy. It's a lot of doctrinal content. But then you get to chapter 12 of Romans, he says, therefore, and then he goes the rest of the book saying, do this, don't do that, right? And you see that again here in Colossians. And in verse 5 here, we get to all the, the things that we should do or shouldn't do. But we have plenty of motivations to, to obey the Lord, right? We should live this way because of who we are in Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we're now to make the death to the old life real in everyday life. Our life that is hidden with Christ is still a life lived out on earth, right? It's still a life. Yes, this is who we are. We're complete in Christ. I'm dead to sin. I have eternal life, right? I'm clothed in the righteousness of God. But yet we still have to, tomorrow morning we have to get up, right, and go to work, right? We still have to respond to our children and to our spouses, right, appropriately. Yet we still have to live life. So attention must be given not only to this inward experience that we have, but also through our, our outward Life. Look at verse 5. This is done by putting to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Now, Paul makes a similar statement in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, what, what did Jesus have to say about this? Jesus mentioned this as well in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read it to you real quickly. Verse 29 and 30. And if your right eye, from here, from here passage, if your right eye causes you to sin, what does it say? Tear it out, right? For it is better for you that one part of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, what's he say? Cut it off, right? Now, of course, we have to, but we need to interpret Scripture rightly. Now, the problem is not in the hand. It's not in the eye. The problem is with what? With our heart, right? Our Lord tells us to make, take severe measures in an effort to discipline the passions of our heart. The Colossians are called to deal with their passions, and so are we. Paul, remember Paul, he took drastic measures. What did he say? He says in, in 1 Corinthians, I beat my body and make it my slave, right? I beat my body, right, and make it my slave. And it's, it, it, sometimes it causes us to scratch our head because we look in verse 3, and it says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. But then here in verse 5, it says, Put to death. These sinful vices. So what is it? Are we dead or are we not? Yeah, we are positionally, right? We are dead to sin. We know that we're alive to Christ. We know the power of sin is broken. We're free from sin's control. The power of darkness, right, has been disarmed. But yet we're told to put to death these sinful passions. I was thinking about that this week. My family, we just spent a decade in China. And a decade's a long, it's 10 years, that's a long time. But the, the life there, the culture, is so different than life here in America. It's so, it's so different. We're living, we live in China, yet we, we, we couldn't really completely habituate to Chinese way of life. You know, we were Americans, we lived there 10 years, but there were just some things we just didn't get. There's some things 
this. No matter how Chinese we acted, we just couldn't do, you know? And our children did better at that than we did. They caught all those things quicker than we did. But yeah, because you know, just we just couldn't completely catch it. We couldn't live like the Chinese, right? So it is in the law of Christ, right? How were you when you became a believer? How old were you? How old were you when you became a believer? Alright, so Les was 18 years old when she became a believer. So even though she was ushered from the land of the dead into the land of the living at 18 years of age, right? She died to sin in her in, in the old way of life. She'd been raised, she was raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. Her new life was so different than her old, right? But yet, she's not completely habituated to God's way of life, right? Yeah, she's in Christ, complete in Christ, but yet, she still has old habits, right? Sinful habits, and, and we all do. Let's look at some of these things we're to kill. In verse 5, real quickly, just run through this life list. Look at what we're to put to death. Immorality, right? Includes anything from sexual adultery to pornography. Okay? Impurity. Not, it's not, not talking about physical things, right? But moral issues, right? Think so, just think about thoughts, our speech, our actions, even our imaginations that are considered filthy. Right? Passion. Also, in some translations, it's, it's translated lust, right? This is an uncontrollable desire for forbidden things. You desire forbidden things, things you, you shouldn't touch, things you shouldn't do. Evil desires. It's kind of, kind of has a wide range, right? Greed. Unquenchable selfishness. Notice that this is called idolatry. Greed is called idolatry. It's also been defined as a disregard for the rights of others, right? It's this arrogant attitude that everything and every person exists for your benefit. Now, why would greed be idolatry? I'm reading through this, kind of come to grips with what these, some of these terms mean. Why would greed be idolatrous? Because I think because it puts one's self-interest in God's place. Let me read you this. He uses this. He says, why greed is idolatry. He says, whatever I put my trust in, I worship. Materialism is a true religion of thousands of confessing Christians today. He says, there's a sense in which greed is even more dangerous than sensuality. Because you read this list, right? You read this, Chris, you read this list, and, and, and it's it's real specific, right? Immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Then you get to greed. But Ken Hughes says, there's a sense in which greed is even more dangerous than these others because it has so many respectable forms. So often it is the successful covetous person, and covetous means greed, is the successful greedy person whom we honor, as the proverb goes. If a man is drunk with wine, we kick him out of the church. If he's drunk with money, we make him a deacon. I think that's pretty true. Sometimes it is, right? Yeah. So these are things that we're going to put to death, right? And greed is among, among them, which is idolatry. Look at verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. The wrath of God is coming because of these practices. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that Christ's death was propitiatory in nature, which means God, Christ, took our punishment for us, right? Christ's death appeased God's wrath. All the more motivation for us to obey the Lord, right? But yet, this leads to our our third point. Third point is, we should fight to rid ourselves of these sins because those who don't will suffer the wrath of God. Now, we're we're believers, but we all still sin, right? Because we just got all these old habits, right? We we haven't quite been made perfect, right? Only until we see Jesus will we be made like Him. Taylor, I think it's, it's interesting. When you become a believer, you don't want to live like this. You don't want to continue to, to live in a way that's greedy or immoral or impure. I have a, a friend who he, he says he's a believer and he kind of shared with me just a struggle with immorality and his struggle with that. And finally, he just kind of gave in. He said, I'm just got tired of fighting. And so now he just lives a, 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 a immoral lifestyle. He says, I've just got tired of fighting. That's kind of gave in. If you guys can just believe it, well, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm just kind of taking a vacation for a little while. Right? And so, I, and what I used to tell him is the same thing I tell him now. The, it's, the battle is worth it. It's worth the fight. Because you know why? Because the fight shows that you're a believer. You know, the, the, the scripture says, oh, you'll tell it a tree by its fruit. Well, one, one, one of the fruits of being a believer is that you have faith, right? Well, can you see faith? Can you see faith? It's not really. But then you, you can. Because we know that faith, without works, is dead. If you trust the Lord, what are you going to be doing? Fight, fight, fight. How do we know you're trusting the Lord if not you're, you're fighting? You're just fighting sin. You're fighting those vices that are, that are listed here, right? Look at verse 7. Paul once again informs them of what they used to be. So he's differentiating between a believer and a non-believer. One who follows Jesus and one who follows himself, right? You used to act like this before God in his mercy pursued you by the Holy Spirit and made you aware of your sinful condition and gave you the grace and faith to believe and repent, right? This is what you used to do before you were a believer. We should be able to say, you know, that's not Christian. I went to tables when I was in grad school, and at the end of the night, you would you would include how much money you made. And so I'm putting in how much money I made, and my coworkers were like, man, what are you doing? I mean, you don't have to claim any of that money. Nobody's going to know. And so how do I respond? I mean, that's what Christians do. When people who follow Jesus, they're honest. Yeah, we should be able to say that. There are some things that are Christian, right? Things that aren't. I know our children, um, I think it's great. We ought to be able to say that and say it often. You know, I have small ones, so they're asking questions. Why do we have to do this? Or why can't we do that, right? So they, maybe that's, that's what Christians do. People who love Jesus, that's what they do. Or, you know, people who love Jesus and follow Jesus, they don't do that. I think our children ought to know that. They should be able to distinguish things that are Christian, things that aren't. Why, by the way, we live. 
Paul continues his list of vices in verse 89. But now you must read yourselves again more and more things. Of all such things as these, anger and rage, they're not, they're not really much different, right? Anger, rage. Makes me think of somebody who's thin-skinned. Somebody who gets, gets angry really easy. Gets offended really easy. We know 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? It says love is not easily angered, right? Those who get angry easily, they're not very loving people. Yeah. Anger, we should put that vice aside. Malice, kind of indicates someone who's who wants to hurt someone else, right? Slander. Malice and slander kind of go hand in hand. Slander is the one who uses their tongue to, to belittle or hurt the reputation of someone else, right? Want to harm them with, by the things you say. Abuse of speech. Lying. Verse 9. Lying gets more attention. I'm thinking through that. Why is that? Nothing destroys a good relationship like a, like a lie. Yeah, lying is something we should put to death, right? And he, he reminds the Colossians in verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. It's like taking off taking off an old coat, right? An old clothes. You take it off and lay it aside. Yeah, that's what we do. That's not, that's not who we are anymore. We don't live that way, right? And you, what do you do? You put on the new self. You, you live in a way that pleases Jesus the Lord. Yeah. Look at verse 10. Paul says it's a process, isn't it? Believers are constantly being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So our goal is to be like Christ, be like Jesus. But it's a process. Slow, sometimes painful process, right? But the fact of the matter is that it's going to be completed, right? I mean, that's the promise we have, right? The, the work he began in us, he will what? He will, he will complete, right? We're going to be like Jesus. It's a, it's, a, it's a struggle being a Christian. Yeah, when you become a Christian, life gets easy and all your problems go away. Well, that's not biblical, right? Working in China, working with persecuted believers, they would be the first one to tell you. Yeah, persecuted, that is just, that's just what we, hard times, that's just what we should expect as a believer. Jesus had hard times. We should have hard times, right? The promise is that one day this will be all be over, it'll be finished. It'll be like him, right? In a new body, it's like his. Verse 11, last thing, our, our fourth point here, our, our struggle with sinful habits is a corporate battle. Corporate, not meaning business, corporate, but corporate as in together, corporate, right? Look at verse 11. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Who's our, our sin? Who does it affect? Does it affect you? Yes, always, right? Our sin affects us. But, but it also affects brothers and sisters of Christ. See, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that we're interdependent, right? Ephesians 4, we're interdependent. We depend on one another. The picture is someone with arm in arm, hand in hand, walking, living life together. And that's the picture we, we see of the church in the New Testament. We are interdependent upon one another. But when we sin, what we're doing is we fail to love God, we fail to love ourselves, we also fail to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what you do, chapel, affects not only you, but affects the 
so it's talking about eradicating, putting to death these fleshly vices because it affects the church. Verse 11, it says, Paul's, Paul, he says, Christ is all and in all. What that means there is there's no distinction between, there's no, um, when it says here, no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slavery, you've got all these barriers, right? You've got religious barriers, you've got socioeconomic barriers, right? Ethnic barriers. But but he's saying here, when, when we become united with Christ, you have two, two races going on now. You need to have ones who are in Christ. You have ones that are in Christ, ones who know Jesus, and, and those who don't. Paul even says that elsewhere. He says, so for now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. See, the barriers are now gone. The dividers, the things that divide us, they're eradicated. We're now united in Christ. We have believer and non-believer. That's our two races we deal with now. And it's true positionally, right? Yeah, of course. But the thing about it is, as we put to death greed in our lives, as we put to, get, put to death immorality and anger and filthy language and slander, what will happen is we'll see, the more we do that, we'll see fewer and fewer distinctions among people. And as we put to death those sinful, selfish Habits, the things that divide us would diminish. And we'll begin to, like Paul, see people as either, either they're a believer or they're a non believer. Because of who the Colossians were in Christ, they should live a certain way. Because of because we are in Christ, we should live a certain way. Taylor. Just as we who lived in China, although we were truly there, we had not completely habituated to the Chinese customs and traditions. So we who live in the land of the living have not completely habituated to the law of Christ. It's a process, but it has an end. That's the promise. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fulfilled. We're going to be like Jesus soon. Just kind of review a little bit with you. We will be like Jesus. It's a promise. But along the way, these old habits, maybe even those we haven't dealt with a long time, they'll rear their ugly head. We must put to death those things, right? So for me, personally, it means that we're, we're, we're in a new phase of life, just trying to figure out life, right? Building a, a remodeling the house, and so I've got all this stuff going on. And so for me, what I have to do is I have to put to death being angry, right? Being short with my children, with my wife, those things I have to just put to death continually. Put to death, put to death, put to death, put to death until, I, until it's eradicated my life, right? What is it for you? Because we're complete in Christ, we should be preoccupied with eternal things. I'm asking, are you, are you, is your life characterized by having your mind set on things above? Do you think and work and live with an eternal perspective? We should be motivated to rid ourselves of these old sinful habits. Are you? What's in your heart that you need to heal? And, and, and we learned today that those 
to rid ourselves of these sins, we'll suffer the wrath of God. Maybe that's true of you today. Maybe you've yet to repent and trust the Lord as Jesus, as Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. You've yet to say, Lord, I'm sinful. I'm rebelling at you. I'm in enmity with you. I deserve your worst, but you've given me your best. You've said, Jesus, die for me. God, I trust that Jesus died in my place. He took my punishment. He rose on the third day. Today, I want to turn from my sin. I want to trust Jesus as Savior. I want to follow you. You can do that today. And escape the wrath of God that you'll receive. Lastly, our struggle with sinful habits is a corporate battle, right? Our sin affects others, so we should fight hard. Fight hard. Your sin affects not only you, but it affects the church. And as you kill those selfish, fleshly vices, you begin to see less and less the barriers between yourself and other brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll see black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, American, Chinese. You'll see one another as brother and sister in Christ, and that's how we should see one another. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.